They find a half-chewed pen in the uh, works of the AC unit. That might be me. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. I did not sabotage the AC units. This isn't being recorded, is it? Okay. Enough jokes. Enough jokes. All right. I'm a, uh, so not only are you really warm, but there are two chapters in numbers in your bulletin. Yeah. Exactly. Carl's with me. Um, I am not going to read every verse in Numbers 28 and 29. I'm going to read a portion of the verses. Uh, I sprung this on Liz in, during the first service, uh, and she did an amazing job of like keeping up uh, in the screens behind me. Um, but I'm going to read a portion of the scripture of, from Numbers 28 and 29 that's printed in the bulletin and will be up on the screens behind me just to give you some background for those that have not been around. We've been going through the book of Numbers for a long time. The people of God are in Midian. They're surrounded by enemies, the Midianites. They're surrounded by enemies. They're on the, they're in the desert. They are, you know, about to get into the promised land. This is near the end of their 40 years of wandering. The first generation has all died away. And now it's just the second generation. And what God is doing is he's telling the Israelites what is really important for when they get into the promised land. So this is Numbers 28 and 29. I'm going to read the first going to read the first 9 verses and then skip to 11 and you, you you'll see along. So this is this is the word of God and we should hear it and respond to it as such. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs a year old without blemish day by day as a regular offering day by day. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, like the grain offering of the morning and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish, and then it goes on describing that, jumping to verse 11. At the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls for the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish. And then it goes on describing the offerings for them each month, jumping to verse 16. On the 14th day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And then it explains a little bit more in those verses and jumping down to verse 24. In the same way, you shall offer daily for seven days the food of a food offering, 
with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And then it describes more of the offerings. Jumping to chapter 29, verse 1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish. And then jumping down to verse seven. On the 10th day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation and afflict yourself. You shall do no work, but you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old. See that they are without blemish. And then jumping down to verse 12. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls from the herd, two rams, fourteen male lambs a year old. They shall be without blemish. And then it describes more of the offerings. Verse 17. On the second day, twelve bulls. And more description. Verse 20. On the third day, 11 bulls. Verse 23. On the fourth day, 10 bulls. Verse 26. On the fifth day, 9 bulls. Verse 29. On the sixth day, 8 bulls. Verse 32. On the seventh day, 7 bulls. Verse 35. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. And then finally, jumping down to verse 39. These you shall offer to the Lord at your appointed feasts. In addition to your vow offerings and your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your grain offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. So Moses told the people of Israel everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Um, uh, my name is Joe. My wife is Blair. And we have four kids, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and two 10-year-olds. We have every week-ish a calendar meeting. How many people here have calendar meetings in your family? Yeah, if you, if you have someone in your life that you like do life together, you should probably have a regular time where you get together and you say, what's happening this week? So that's essentially what we do. We go around and we talk about what, you know, what's on our calendar. We don't talk about the mundane things like I go to work, you go to work, they go to school, you know, those type of things. That's just understood. But we talk about, you know, what are we going to eat this week? How are we going to prepare it? Really, a lot of our meetings is around food. Um, how are we going to eat that? What do we have for lunch? What do we have for breakfast? What do we have for dinner? Um, but actually, I kid about that. We do talk about food a lot. But the majority of our conversation is, what are our kids doing and how are we getting them there? Because we're you know, a suburban, West End enrichment family. 
we have our kids doing a lot of stuff that is not within walking distance. So we have to get them there. Thankfully, uh, we are able usually to get our kids to where they need to go most of the time. Um, partly, praise the Lord, there's, there's two of us to be able to get them there. Um, also, praise the Lord, we have grandparents who can help us out. Uh, also, carpools are amazing. Uh, this morning, for instance, uh, Sunday morning, uh, Blair is a single mom because I usually get here early. And so she has to wrangle the four kids. She was coming here early to f- uh, flip some pancakes or maybe not flip them, but at least do stuff with the pancake breakfast that was just happening downstairs. Um, and so the Blair's parents were able to come and pick up the kids and get them here. And they were able to get here. That was amazing. And they, they got themselves dressed and all that other stuff. Is praise the Lord. It was great. Um, and as long as they're here bodily, I don't care what they look like, as long as they're appropriately dressed, it was awesome. It was great. Um, this text that we just read, or at least summarized or read a little bit, is God and the Israelites having a calendar meeting. That's what's happening. God and the Israelites are having a calendar meeting. God is telling the Israelites, here's what you can expect in your normal life. God and the Israelites are having a calendar meeting. Uh, this morning in the sermon, we're going to look, we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at two little aspects of these two chapters. One is sort of the way God orders the life of the people. And then the other one, we're going to talk about uh, the offerings or the sacrifices specifically. And then we'll draw, we'll pull some applications from that. But you see right away that God has a pattern for his people's lives. You see that there's daily sacrifices twice a day. The priest gets up and does, it gives an offering, a burnt offering in the morning. And then, then, then at twilight, when the sun is going down, he does another burnt offering every day. And then we just read on the Sabbath, there was more burnt offerings. This, these sacrifices are cumulative. So it's not just the daily sacrifices, but also the Sabbath sacrifices. And then monthly, there were other sacrifices that happened at the first, of, the first day of each month, each of the Hebrew months. Imagine on those days when the Sabbath fell on day one of each Hebrew month. The priest is working all day, all day. I mean, he's got sacrifice, the daily sacrifices, the Sabbath sacrifices, and the monthly sacrifices. And then starting in verse 16 on, it's the Old Testament church calendar is what it is. Uh, he's going through, the Lord is telling them, this is the order of your days, order of your uh, annual offerings, and he does it chronologically. So bear with me, I know it's kind of warm and you might be tempted to fall asleep, but bear with me as we look at some of the, as as we look at the feasts, I want to give you a a big picture of the feasts of the Old Testament church calendar. It starts at Passover, verse 16, the 14th day of the month. Passover is, if you know your Bible, you know that was the day when the Israelites escaped death. Because of the substituted blood of the lamb on the doorposts. They are to remember every year that they escaped death because of the substituted blood of the lamb. And then the feast of unleavened bread for seven days long. This is the first of the big, great national feasts. Seven days long, they are to remember their escape from bondage and slavery as they escaped Egypt 
and they had to go quick. So there was no leaven in the bread, no yeast in the bread. They had to take unleavened bread and run and get out. And for seven days, every year, they are to remember that God rescues them. And then 50 days later is the conclusion of the harvest. 50 days later, also known as Pentecost. Some of you might know this. This is Pentecost in uh, verse 26. Seven days after the, or, or 50 days after the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, or seven weeks, they have a festival, Pentecost, remembering that the crops are in. It's a day to honor the Lord as the one who provides. And then it jumps to the seventh month. Now, for you numerologists out there, I know that there are some of you, you know seven is a big number. How many days, uh, how many days are there in a week? Yes, some of you are not asleep. Good job. There are seven days in a week. There are seven days of creation. And all throughout this, if you did the math and started adding things up, you start seeing there are 70 total bulls sacrificed in the Feast of Tabernacles. There are seven or 14 is the number of lambs that are sacrificed usually. The duration of the two great festivals of of unleavened bread and the festival of the booths or the tabernacles is seven. Um, There are seven days in a week. And if you do the math and you look around, you heard me read over and over again um, that you were it was a solemn day that no work was to be done. The Sabbath, the seventh day, no work was to be done. In chapters 28 and 29, there were seven additional days that no work was to be done. They were holy to the Lord. The seventh month itself is a holy day. This is like around March or a a holy month. This is around March or April. And there are three feasts in this holy seventh month, if you will. It starts with Rosh Hashanah. As you know, it's, uh, this is in chapter 29, 1 through 6. It's the first day. The, you heard me read uh, where a trumpet is to be blown. When I first started working at West End Presbyterian Church, I ordered um, a shofar. I bought a shofar, which is a Hebrew uh, ram's horn that had been elongated, you know, elongated, and then you blew it out. This is what they use. This is what they would blow. Uh, on this day, I ordered a, a ram's horn. And um, I, I had like just gone on staff and people sort of knew me, didn't really know me. That shofar stunk up the place. It was not a pleasing aroma. It was like dead animal. It was disgusting. Was it not, Tim? It was disgusting. Yes. Um, I, the shofar's still in my office. If we want to go take a field trip over there, we can go look at it. Um, uh, but it doesn't smell like dead animal anymore. And I try to blow on it and it like, it's terrible. I can't do it. And then Taylor, if you know, Taylor's up here. This is one that plays a trumpet. One of our uh, directors of worship, he goes in there and he like blows it and plays it beautifully, like multiple notes. It doesn't even have this stuff. It just is like a ram sword. And you're like, how in the world is Taylor doing that? It was amazing. I go off because it's amazing. The, the very first day of the seventh month, they blow the trumpet. They blow the trumpet. It is time to look to the Lord. And it starts this penitential season, seven days where they are to repent. They're to fast. They're to repent of their sins and review it. And it culminates in the big, in the 10th day, in verse nine, or verse seven of chapter 29 of the day of atonement. You can read more about that in Leviticus 16. 
You might know it as Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when they remember the great, uh, the, the remember that their sin needs to be atoned for. And then the third big uh, festival in the seventh month is the festival, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, in verse twelve through thirty-eight. Um, this is seven days when they remember, and this is when, when I read over and over again on the, um, you know, on the 15th day, on the first day, on the second day, on the third day, on the fourth day, on the fifth day, um, spends a long time on this festival of booths because this is the time where they're to remember what they're doing right then. They are people who are with, who are not in a home. Every year when they get into the promised land, they are to look back and they are to see the fact that for 40 years they did not have a home, but the Lord walked with them. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud walked with them. And every year they are to remember that God provided for them. And I don't have time to talk about it, but at the beginning of the bulletin, it should, it, um, Ligon Duncan writes out uh, how many of the animals were sacrificed. Um, I was talking with a gentleman right after the first service, after I preach about this and I didn't mention this and um, it's it is interesting worth mentioning that all of the animals that God tells the Israelites they're to sacrifice they can't do it when God tells them this is what you're to do they are nomads they don't have crops they don't have a huge number of herd God is telling them you are to offer up this number of crops and animals at a time when they could not do that. In a way, God is saying, I know you can't do it now, but soon you will be in the promised land and you will be able to do it then. God is pointing them to a time when they would be able to do it. Um, I envy somewhat of an agricultural lifestyle like they had, you know, like their life is, is, has a rhythm to it. When the crops come in, uh, when the animals need to be fed, I mean, there's, there is, a rhythm to that lifestyle. I don't know about you, but for me, if I wanted to, I could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 366 days a year. I will do leap year, leap year every year, right? We are people, um, the American people, life, liberty, and the pursuit of the incessant life. That's what we are. We are people who are always working, always moving there. If we didn't do it, our rhythm is always going. There's no rhythm to our lifestyle. Our rhythm is go, 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 go until you collapse. Does anyone feel that? Our rhythm in many ways is just go, 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 go. And I had an anxiety attack and, and not to make light of it, but go, 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 go until I feel like I can't do this life anymore. If you read the news, you see suicide all over. Mental illness, anxiety hangs over us. We are go, 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 go people. The Lord is telling the Israelites, stop it. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm to this. There's a rhythm to the lifestyle. Where's the rhythm in your life? Where is the rhythm in your life? If you feel like you are on a treadmill and heading towards an anxiety attack. Stop it. The Lord is telling you through this scripture, there is rhythm to life. 
Starting in Advent this year, we're going to go through the, the New Testament church calendar. You know, we'll do the Advent and Steve's going to preach not through a book, but through the, um, the regular, uh, the, the life of Jesus, if you will, the New Testament church of calendar. Kevin is going to order our worships to be around the life of Jesus, the New Testament church of calendar. There's rhythm in that. But maybe even more important to that, the rhythm, and I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but the rhythm of every Sunday gathering together as the people of God and declaring, I need Jesus. I was talking to a, a, a saint at the beginning of the worship or beginning of the first worship service. Um, she was out in the gallery and I was, you know, how you doing? And her words were, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. And in many ways, that's her. That's me on many Sundays. That might be you this morning. I, I, I may not want to be here, but I'm here. The Lord is faithful in the rhythm of gathering together with his people. His people gathering together. He meets us here every Sunday. Ligon Duncan writes in chapters 28 and 29, we have a grand demonstration of a God who weaves himself into the time frame of the whole of Israel's year, that he is to be worshipped in the framework of all their time, and that he's even more important than their work. So, friends, I would just tell you this. If, if you have time this afternoon, maybe do some work. If your life is out of control in this relentless pursuit of whatever it is, uh, if you feel like you have lost your sense of rhythm, take some time and stop and ask yourself, What's God have for you? Because our rhythm, our weekly rhythm of gathering together, our rhythm in life points us to our need of Jesus Christ. Because, which leads me to my second major point when you read this, is uh, the offerings and the sacrifices. Um, A couple points about this. These are the public priestly sacrifices, not the Jason priestly sacrifices. The public priestly sacrifices. This is in addition to all the other. And you heard that at the end of 29 when I was reading it. In addition to the wave offering, the thanks offering, the peace offering. There are other offerings. These are just the public ones. Sacrifices are arranged according to frequency. You saw that daily, weekly, monthly, and then annually. They're cumulative. And then what's happening in these sacrifices? Um, And every sacrifice is an offering, but not every offering is a sacrifice. Think about that later. Um, an offering is brought to God. It's literally just brought to God. Um, a sacrifice is the particular way of presenting a certain offering. Uh, in Hebrew, sacrifice, altar, and slaughter are of the same root origin. So I think you see that, right? The burnt offering is a pleasing aroma as it ascends to God. Uh, it is a function in some ways as, and I'm not going to talk about it, but the next slide tells you propitiatory and dedicatory and thanksgiving, right? Is that right, Liz? We'll go back. There you go. Yeah, propitiatory, dedicatory, or consecratory, or communal, or fellowship. There's, in, in many ways, there's different offerings that do different things. Uh, if you weren't falling asleep, I would talk to you about it, but we're not going to talk about it. But in many ways, the sacrifice, especially the burnt offering that we're talking about in 28 and 29, in some ways does all three of these. Propitiatory, it's dealing with the fact that we are sinful people needing to come to a sinless, holy God. 
dedicatory. I'm saying all of life and all of me needs to go to God. Thanksgiving or communal, we all need to give thanks and praise to God. The burnt offering, every morning, the priest would get up and he would lay his hand upon the head of this animal. And when he lays his hand on the, he- on the head of this animal, he's declaring, I, priest, I identify with this animal. This innocent animal and I are the same. And because of sin, death. And he kills the animal, slaughters it, takes the blood, throws it on the altar, takes the animal, cuts it up, places it on the altar, and all of it is burned up. Think about it. Israelites wake up every morning and they see and they smell. They see the smoke rising in the sky. They smell the burnt animal. They see that it's completely consumed. Every morning they see that. Every evening as the sun goes down, the same thing happens. It's at those moments that the Israelites are seeing sin leads to death. Everything belongs to God. And God is here with us. Um, I have been trying to break up with my cell phone. This has uh, been a latest thing in the Brown family, or in Joe Brown's life. Uh, I got a book, How to Break Up With Your Cell Phone, um, because I found that it's a bad habit. And I found that as I look at my own kids and see the way they interact with handheld devices, if you Ah, never mind. Um, Screens are amazing, right? Electronic screens are truly amazing things. You could be, something else could be happening that could captivate your attention and then an electronic screen turns on. (gasps) What's that? What's that? I can swipe some fruit. I don't know. Okay, that's terrible. I can do some other games. I don't know. And then the fact that I can have a screen in my hands. (gasps) This is glorious. And I see in my kids the glory that is this beautiful handheld device. And then the walking around, running into things, music playing at me. And it drives me crazy. And then before, and then when I want to say, kids, get those screens off your face. Hold on. Right? I, I have this, I have a bad habit. So it, it's just a habit. And I'm trying to break it. That's just what I do. I'm just trying to break it. I'm trying to think through the way things are. It's a habit. Nothing more. Um, Habits are mindless. Rituals are mindful. Habits are mindless. We all have habits. Um, Just a few minutes ago, the habit of every deacon in the church wanting to close these doors... Or not just deacons, but many of you sitting here saying, oh, you're just walking in and just shutting the doors. And like the, numerous people in the hallway, they're like, no, we got to keep the doors open, get the air, get the keep air flowing. But it's like people aren't even thinking. It's just habit. It's just habit. Open the doors, open the doors. Ritual, which is what we're talking about here, is not habit. It's mindful pointing to a purpose. Uh, what are some American rituals? Maybe uh, the Super Bowl might be American ritual. Rituals in which point us to the deepest values of a society. Um, you know, we know around the church, something is about to happen this next calendar year. Something that brings fear to me. 
It's the fact that Halloween falls on a Wednesday. And so what do you do when you have Wednesday functions at a church on Halloween? Are we going to kowtow to the terrible culture of Halloween? Whatever you think about it, are we going to kowtow to it? Or uh, whatever it is, I am going to do it and it's going to be me and one other kid and it's going to be great. Is that what we're going to do? Because in many ways, it's, it's an American ritual, right? Halloween is an American ritual. Don't take candy from strangers except for one like, break of an hour. This is the ritual. Rituals help us understand our value. Twice a day, in Numbers 28 and 29, twice a day, the ritual was God saying, Israelites, look to the Lord. Twice a day, as they saw the smoke, as they smelled the animal, as they saw the priest lay his hand upon the animal, twice a day, they were to say to look to the Lord. Friends, they had every reason to be terrified. They were surrounded by enemies. They have seen their mothers and fathers die by plagues or war, whatever it is. They have heard the promises of God all their life, but have yet to see it fulfilled. Okay, I know God says we'll take the promised land, but it hasn't happened yet. I see it over there, but it's not happening yet. They had every reason to be terrified. Um, Just a few weeks ago, I saw this movie called A Quiet Place, um, which I... I don't know if I can recommend it. It is in some ways a horror movie. So if you can get over that, if you, if you enjoy those type of movies, you would enjoy it. If you don't enjoy horror movies, please do not watch this movie. Um, as a dad, I loved the movie. I loved it. Um, it is about a family. It's about one family, a mom and a dad, a sister, two brothers, and the mom is pregnant. And they live in a t- terrifying world. Monsters are all around that can hear them, and so they have to be very quiet. That's the premise of the movie. The reason why I bring it up is because there's a couple scenes where what it is, it's about a mom and a dad trying to keep their kids safe. That's what it is. And there's a couple scenes that, and it's one in particular where the boy is terrified. The one boy is just terrified. You see it throughout the movie. You see it in his face. He's terrified. And numerous times, one in particular, the the dad has to get the boy's attention because he's like francing all around, looking all around, looking around the, all, all in the edges. Are the monsters going to come? And the monsters going to come? And he's terrified. And the dad has to grab his face. We've got this. We will be safe. We will be safe. What's happening in Numbers 28 and 29, when they see that sacrifice going up every day, multiple times every day, the Lord is saying, look all around you, you will be terrified. I got this. The Lord is saying, Israelites, I got this. You don't see it now, but I got this. You have every reason to be terrified, but I got this. Friends, just like the Israelites, us today, we have every reason to be terrified. Death is not any less. Terror is not any less. Enemies are still around. 
You and I still have every reason to be anxious and to be fearful. We need to see, I got this. The Lord is saying, I got this. And we see that most clearly and particularly in the fact that Jesus is our sacrifice. What does this text say about you and me? The fact that there is sacrifice proves the point that we're worse than we think we are. The fact that there's sacrifice tells us that we cannot come to holy God unless sacrifice is made, unless atonement is made. Over and over and over again, it is driven home that at the heart of Israel's worship is sacrifice. That is where atonement is. And sacrifice happens because sin deserves death. You and I deserve death. And the answer is not in you. God's got this. God's got this. When you see that smoke rising, God's got this. The whole sacrificial system, as Al Mohler writes, is designed to make sure that Israel gets this, that the problem is you, it's your sin, and the answer is not you. The answer is something else. The answer is a sacrifice. And what is that sacrifice? Jesus is so much greater than we think. Uh, Jill, just a few minutes ago before the sermon, read a passage from Hebrews 10. And as Kevin made mention, if you want to make sense of numbers and Leviticus, read Hebrews. We just read it. And a few verses after in Hebrews 10, 11 to 14, it says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's what that priest is doing. That's he's talking about numbers right here. He's talking about that priest every day offering sacrifices multiple times every day offering sacrifices. And the author to the Hebrews tells us right here, they can never take away, take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Friends, those Israelites that looked to the smoke and smelt the burnt offering and saw it and believed it, who hoped in the Lord, they were not saved by that animal. They were not saved by the priest. They were saved by Jesus, who is the one and only perfect sacrifice. We're about to see it in just a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper. His sacrifice is what saves us. We don't have an altar here. There's no altar up here. There's no slaughter. There's no sacrifice except the one sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He is the one sacrifice that has made it, that has done it. An offering has been made that covers us. In Jesus, we are forgiven. Amen? In Jesus, you are forgiven. Christ bore the punishment for our sins as the true Passover lamb. And so, friends, I want you to hear this. Every day, every day, every day, Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Amen.